0: Those places in which doubt creeps in happen because we don't understand the preeminence of Christ. We don't understand that God's word says that he's for us and not against us. We don't understand that his word says he's a very present help in our time of trouble. So in our darkest moments, in our tightest places, in places that we are tempted to manipulate and make things happen, If we understand this passage of Scripture the way that the book of John starts it out, it encourages us the truth of God's word and that we never, ever, ever have to settle. One thing that is always certain in life is that there are a lot of changes. Those changes can be change in season, change in geographic location, change in job, change in churches, but changes. And sometimes it's hard in this broken world to know really what we can expect and what we can count on. So today, as we get started, we're going to talk about you can count on God. And as we open up that discussion, we are going to study the book of John and we're going to change things up a little bit. We're going to be studying the book of John for the next several weeks Many of you probably are familiar with the book of John. It, in the list of the New Testament, it's the fourth book of the Bible. It's the one uh, New Testament book, the gospel, that is considered not to be a part of the synoptic gospel gospels. When the apostle uh, John wrote this particular book in the Bible, he really wrote with the idea that we already understood many of the things that happened when jesus walked on planet earth for his ministry matthew mark and luke focus on a lot of events and a lot of things and that's all good John, the book of John, the contrast there is that he focuses on the nature and the character of Christ to help us as we develop a relationship with Christ that it would be a true relationship based on truth. So when we talk about today, you can count on God. We're going to start uh, in the book of John, as I said, chapter one and verse one. And we're going to take a look at what John says happens. In the beginning, because this is very important to our Christian life in terms of maturing and growing, which is the whole point of the Christian life. And it says there in the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. Speaking of Jesus, it says God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him the word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. So that was John chapter one. And I read verses one through five out of the new living translation. Now, many of you in your Bibles, you will see that that first part, those first few few verses that I read from are called the prologue. They're kind of poetic uh, as you read those scriptures, but what's important to know even more so than that is this foundational truth of in the beginning will walk you and will walk through, walk me through every single season of Christian life. You have to understand that in the beginning, right? In the beginning, God, that there was nothing before God. In the beginning, God created everything. The word already existed. And the word was God and the word was with God. This foundational truth is a truth that we can build our lives on. And as we really build our life on this truth, we gain freedom in every single area of our life. A lot of times we want to look to scripture to maybe speak to our situation or to our circumstance. And that has some value. But on a much larger scale, when we seek to study the Bible in context and book by book, we can uh, discover these foundational truths. This particular foundational truth about how Jesus was there from the beginning, explains to you and explains to me how Jesus was always a part of the plan, that redemption was a part of the plan long before Adam and Eve fell in the garden. And this truth will help us in our prayer life. It will help us when we're tempted to be people pleasers. It will help us when when there's darkness in our path to understand some things. So let's go back to John 1, 1 again. In the beginning... The word already existed. In other words, there is nothing more preeminent than God's word. Now, we may give other things more time and attention in our lives than God's word, but God is setting this up that his word existed before anything. The word was with God and the word was God. He, meaning Jesus, existed in the beginning with God and God created everything through Jesus. This is explaining to us the supremacy of Christ, his preeminence, that he is the Alpha He is the Omega, the beginning, the end, everything in between. From the book of Genesis to the book of Revelation, Jesus is the thread that holds it all together. And when we believe in Christ, Jesus is our foundation that holds our life together. Whenever we are tempted to people please, it's because somehow in our mind or in our uh, heart, we've decided that making that person, takes preeminence over Christ. Now, we might not think that out loud, right? Like none of us say that. Like, well, I think that I need to do this for so-and-so to make her happy, even though it's at odds with what God says. We don't vocalize that, but that's what's going on underneath. Those places in which we're tempted to compromise, those places in which doubt creeps in, happen because we don't understand the preeminence of Christ. We don't understand that God's word says that he's for us and not against us. We don't understand that his word says he's a very present help in our time of trouble. Why do we try to control and try to manipulate our our own lives. I mean, it's on some level, like we think that God needs our help, or we sort of need to remind God of, you know, it'd be really great, you know, if this could work out this way. But this scripture, as you look at the book of John, and we'll be, again, studying it for the next several weeks, John, the apostle John's point is to help us understand the nature of the character of Christ, his preeminence, so that when we run into a battle, when we run into a crisis, when we run into a financial reversal or a job problem or a prodigal child or any one of those things, of course, what we all want to do is scramble for the answer to that problem right? I mean, I'm a person too. Many times without God's help, I'm looking for the path of least resistance. I just want to get through this. I just want this trial to be over. There are some things in which our faith is are, is very, very stretched. And in those times, if we can remember that he is preeminent, when we pray, We are praying to the almighty, divine creator, the one who holds all of heaven he measures it with the palm of his hand he holds our prayers in a measure which just essentially means a basket when you are praying it is not all you can do is just pray you are talking to the creator of the universe the only one who can truly help you and the only one who can truly help me and he says he's there twenty-four-seven. that he never sleeps that he never slumbers he doesn't go on vacation And that he's always thinking about us. The book of Psalms even declares that he has more thoughts toward us than the grains of sand. Have you ever gotten into sand, gone on a beach vacation, walked through the sand? No matter how hard you try, that sand keeps following you. I mean, I will wash my feet off, rinse my feet off from the sand, and there will be more sand. I take my beach tote bag up to the condo or the hotel, and as much as I've tried to wipe that thing down, there's more sand. So when he says that he has more thoughts towards us than the sand, the grains of sand, that's a lot of thoughts. That means we are always on his mind and his heart. He is supreme and reigns supreme over all none of us when our faith is in christ are just living to make it through every day we have the creator of the universe in our lives and he is he literally lights our path up with the power of his word and again his word has been around from the beginning so in our darkest moments in our tightest places, in places that we are tempted to manipulate and make things happen. If we understand this passage of Scripture the way that the book of John starts it out, it encourages us the truth of God's Word and that we never, ever, ever have to settle. I mean, right now, we're living in what many call a post-Christian era, We're living in a culture where there is so much wrong thinking. I mean, you just really can't even make up some of this stuff. Some of the things that people say, and they will look at me with an absolute straight face, like this is just really their truth. And that's what people talk about. This is my truth. You all, we don't get to pick. We have a free will in that sense. We get to think whatever we want to think. But truth is truth and real truth belongs to God. And it's what he says, it's not what we think. We live in a culture that is very dark. We also live in a culture that's steeped um, in legalism, even though churches talk about grace. uh, There are so many points in which we cross that line And act like we have to earn our way, that we have to do enough good works. And the Bible does say that, you know, faith without works is dead, but it also says that we are saved by grace. It is not of ourselves. It is not of our good works. We live in a time where there is all kinds of spiritual abuse right in the middle of Christian churches that say that they read from the Bible and that are reading from the Bible. Uh, But some of the teachings, Um, are used to manipulate people, to hold control over people, to make people feel like if they leave that church, bad things are going to happen or they're going to go to hell. The Bible says that we are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. The Bible is clear that the meeting together of believers is biblical. It says we should meet together all the much more so As we see the day approaching. So I'm certainly not saying don't go to church. Don't be a part of a church. Church is a part of the Christian believer's life. But when someone is trying to manipulate or scare you or scare me that if you don't go to church here, then you're just not getting the right word. And this just isn't. You know, that's not biblical. There are many fine Christian churches teaching and preaching from the Bible. And the idea is that we live in relationship with Christ and that we are led by his Holy Spirit. And so when we know the word of God for ourselves, when we're not depending on other people's faith and what their interpretation says, we will be able to be led by the Holy Spirit more fully. We will have the scriptures that I go over today and the points that I go over today will all be on our online extras will be up on the website. And the next thing is we continue on in the book of John that I want us to look at, because in addition to knowing that in the beginning, God In the beginning is God's word. In the beginning is Jesus. So whatever anybody says to the contrary or whatever we think or feel to the contrary, we just need to know that's just wrong thinking. It's in the beginning, God. In the beginning, the word was with God. Everything was created by and through Jesus Christ. We cannot get to God any other way. But through Jesus, the next thing we need to understand is that God's kingdom will not ever, not ever, be overthrown. I want us to read here in John 2. I will read verses um, from John 2:13 to 17. and it says there it was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. So Jesus went to Jerusalem. In the temple area, he saw merchants settled, selling cattle, sheep and doves for sacrifices. He also saw dealers at tables exchanging foreign money. Jesus made a whip from some ropes and he chased them all out of the temple. He drove out the sheep and the cattle, scattered the money changers coins all over the floor and turned their tables. Then going over to the people who sold doves, he told them, get out of here. Get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. Then his disciples remembered this prophecy from scripture, from the scriptures, passion for God's house will consume me. And again, that was out of John two verses 13 to 17. And I read it out of the new living translation. So we live in a culture today that everybody is really mad And a lot of Christians are even mad at the world and at people that don't think like us and people that do things that the Bible say don't do. And they'll say, well, this is just my righteous anger. This is my righteous indignation. So let's talk about righteous anger for a minute, because this passage out of John 2 certainly shows Jesus and depicts Jesus as angry. And the Bible also says in other places that, There is a right way to be angry. It says to be angry and sin not. So what is righteous anger? Is it that we're mad at somebody who's sinning? Are we mad at somebody who's had an abortion? Are we mad at somebody who uh, commits adultery? So we make mean posts about them. We say all this and then we just say, well, you know, that's just my righteous anger. No, that is not our righteous anger. That is man's way of handling sin. So let me say this, all unrepented sin will be dealt with by God and it won't be dealt with by us. Thank you, Jesus, because we wouldn't know how to make those judgments that we think we do. We, We do not. But righteous anger, the kind of anger that Jesus was displaying is rooted in love and rooted in truth, righteous anger brings correction to injustice and healing to the injured. So let's look at John 2 again and this money changer. So Jesus was angry at the money changers behavior. What he was angry about, the selling of these doves and the selling of these things for sacrifice that people were making those prices way high so that the average person or person of smaller means could not come into the house of God to make sacrifices and to worship. Jesus was angry that people were making it hard for people to come and worship him and to come to the father. That's righteous anger. Righteous anger is rooted in love and truth. It's rooted in what God's word says. And this anger brought correction to that injustice. In other words, it was productive. It was constructive. It did something. It brought healing to the injured, those that couldn't make sacrifices because they couldn't afford it. Jesus made a way for them to come into the house of God. So if we're going to talk about righteous anger, then our righteous anger needs to be about legalism. Our righteous anger needs to be about religious people who lord it over people who want to come to Christ and we make it hard for them to come to Christ. That's righteous anger. Righteous anger is when our children disobey and we correct them in truth. We correct them in love and we let them know, hey, love you too much to let you go this way. God made you for better than that. That's righteous anger. Righteous anger is not, you're gonna burn in hell. Well, but Monica, they could go to hell. You know what? Again, all unrepentant sin is gonna be dealt with by God. Anyone who does not believe and accept will go to hell. But I'm going to say this, hell was not created for people. The Bible is clear about that. And anytime we get in people's faces to scream and yell and to act like we're happy that they're going to go to hell and like we're better than them because they're going to go to hell, that is not righteous anger. That is legalism. That is, you know, that's just being a modern day Pharisee. Well, what do you say, Monica? Should we not tell people the truth? Oh, we should tell people the truth. And the truth that we tell should be biblical and it should be rooted in love and it should be to give an opportunity for even those who are living as enemies of God to come to Christ. I can say this just in studying the book of John and reading the Bible, Jesus' heart, if any of those money changers would have come back and said, You know, I realized what I did, I'm wrong, I'm sorry, they would have been forgiven. As hard as that can be for us to accept sometimes, they would have been forgiven. When everything in life is pulled out from under us, what we need to understand is you can count on God. What Jesus was saying in this anger, this righteous anger, was that he wanted everybody to be able to come to him. He was saying to those people, you can count on me. You can count on me. People do wrong. People in the temple were doing wrong. People in churches today do wrong. Leaders use the gospel to advance their own interest. you, You all, that's been happening since the beginning, but we don't base our faith on people. We base our faith on the person and who Christ is. You can count on God. I can count on God 100%. Even when leaders, even when people, even when we fail ourselves, we can count on God. I know some people will be like, but yeah, but you know, like if you make the mess, you know, people say, well, you know, if you make your bed, you know, you have to lay in it. I'm so thankful to Jesus that even when we do wrong, even when, when we make that bed the wrong way, if we'll repent with a humble heart, he'll take us back. There may be some consequences, He'll walk us through those consequences. You all, we have it so good. We are so blessed. You can count on God wherever you are. You can count on God. And the more that we study his word, the more that we'll know how dependable that he is. That's why I'm opening up the book of John. And we're going to study this for several weeks and look at Many different highlights from many different chapters. We'll have the online extras up on the website so that you can study it. Because if you don't study it for yourself, you're gonna be dependent on what other people tell you. And I'll say that even about myself. I'm just a person. I'm studying just like you. I'm praying just like you. You should check out what I say. You should go to the Bible and read it You all, sometimes I just will sit at home and I just read it out loud and then I'll read it silently. I'll write some of it out, steeping myself in God's Word because you can count on God. And the next thing that I want us to look at today is God's good plan because so many people will talk about the plan of God and how good it is and how God has great plans for you. And I I believe all of that. I just think that God's good plan many times can look so different than what we imagine a good plan to be. But here is what Jesus says in John 3, and I will start with verse 16. It says, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light so that others can see that they are doing what God wants. So that is God's good plan for the world. God's good plan for the world is to save the world through the person of his son, Jesus Christ. And God's good plan is that everyone who comes to the light and asks for forgiveness will be cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Then we are made right in God's sight as if we have never sinned. And if you ask me, I don't know how to explain that. That's what God's word says. And today we're talking about You can count on God. God's plan for the world is to save us from our sins. And his plan also says that for all those who won't come to the light, it's because they want to be in the dark because they're doing evil. They don't want to be saved. They don't want to become a Christian. They don't want to become a follower of Christ. We're going to let God deal with that part our part is to understand God's good plan for the world. And God's good plan has always been about rescue and redemption. God's good plan has never been about destruction. So if you are at your house, apartment, trailer, wherever today, and you're thinking, God is just punishing me for all the bad things I've done. No, 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 that's not biblical. We're living in a dispensation of grace. And I'm so thankful that we are. And basically what that means is that if you're sitting in a mess and you're aware that you're sitting in a mess, that's not God punishing you, the Holy Spirit. Remember, we're talking about God's word around from the beginning. What God wants is for you to come to him and say, I'm sorry that I've done these X, Y, Z things. I'm sorry for this mess that I've made. Please forgive me and let me start again. God does not tell us over and over again how bad we are, the things that we've done. Remember, that's the evil one. The Bible says that the devil is the accuser of the brethren. So if you're receiving accusations in your mind and heart, that is the work of the evil one. The work of God God's good plan is that we are saved. He made a way for us to be saved from the penalty of our sins. And I know that sometimes in this broken world, we have so many obligations, so many things that we have to do, we forget the point of all of this is God's good plan for the world. So we will have all of this up on the website for the online extras. We've talked today from the book of John. And we've talked about his supremacy from in the beginning. And then that his kingdom will not be overthrown. I don't care what we see on the news and who says what about the Christian church. God's kingdom will never be overthrown. The darkness will never, ever, ever overtake the light. And then God's plan is to save the world. And I'm so thankful. And I know that you are too. And so today, as life might come against you or circumstances, whatever, I want you today to hold on to today's truth. You can count on God wherever you are, whatever you're doing, you can count on God. We're out of time, but I say goodbye and God bless you. Don't miss another episode of Bridges. Subscribe to our YouTube channel today where you can find all of Monica's latest teachings and interviews. It's easy to do. Just visit youtube.com, search Monica Schmelter, and click subscribe. Once you are subscribed, click the bell icon to get notified when a new episode is available to view. Thanks for watching Bridges. Don't give in. God's word says your It takes training. It takes discipline. And so when you're fighting that good fight of the faith, you take your story, whatever it is, and you saturate it in faith, and you fight for it. Visit MonicaSchmelter.com to schedule Monica to speak at your next event. Join the Bridges community on Facebook. Visit Facebook and search for Bridges with Monica. We would love to connect with you. Hello, my name is Adam Comer. And I'm Ryan Chittister. And we're the host of Life After Addiction podcast. If you or someone you love struggles with addiction, check us out. Life After Addiction podcast. And you can subscribe at lifeaudio.com.